0: So as I mentioned, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series today called Do Not Fear. And uh, we're excited about the next four weeks. We're going to be taking each week to unpack and really look at, to really attack and take the offensive position against these four particular fears that most of us are going to face in this life. And so today, we're going to look at the fear of man, the fear of man. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Psalms thirty-four, ten. I want to begin with our mission statement as a church. You've probably seen it on, on posted on some of our, our stuff online and as well as uh, our, our banners out there. But beginning in Psalms 34, verse 10, it says this in the NLT. Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Be strong and courageous. It's actually a command from God. It's an imperative. It's a directive. God is trying to direct us to be strong and courageous. And over the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about hope. We've talked about uh, the reality of hope, the purpose of hope, and hope's plan. Today, we're going to discuss what it looks like to be a strong and courageous people. And I believe that God is raising up a courageous church, a people that are not bound by fear, but that are willing to be strong and courageous. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 31. We are going to have it on the screen for you. I'm going to be reading from the NKJV today. I'm going to break with the ESV just for this message, but um, I'm going to read from the New King James today uh, because I like the way it renders the phrase, do not fear. But we're going to begin in verse 16, and I'm going to say this as a caveat. We are going to cover some ground today. I hope you guys are ready. Yeah, some of you are, all right. Well, I hope you guys are ready because we are gonna plow through some scripture today. And I'm excited about it because I believe the word of God is truth. The word of God brings life and it illuminates the dark places of our lives so that we can walk in light and walk in truth and know what God wants for us. Beginning in Matthew chapter 10, we're gonna pick up right in the middle of Jesus's message to his disciples. So I want you to read this as if Jesus himself is talking to you. If you are a disciple... Uh, that means that you are are apprenticing the way of Jesus. You are following him. You are loving him. You are serving him. By the way, that is the mission of this church, to equip and empower people to love and to follow and to serve Jesus courageously. It's just the way we like to talk about discipleship. So if you are a disciple of Jesus in this room, that means that Jesus is writing this to you and he's speaking this to you. So I want you to pay attention to what he has to say. And uh, I'm gonna read it. And then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it a little bit today. I'm going to to preach verse by verse today, which is not something I always do, but it's something I felt like the Lord wanted me to do in this series. Beginning in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And as a testimony to them, And to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Wow. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above their master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of this house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household. Therefore, and here it is, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Verse 27, whatever I tell you in the dark, I want you to speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, I want you to preach it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, there it is again, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. What a text. What a statement by Jesus to his disciples and vis-a-vis, to us, to not be afraid. He says, do not fear. And before we proceed, I want you to hear those words. Because I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, wrestle with fear. Many of us wrestle with all sorts of fears. The word fear, actually, in this context, is the word phobia. It's actually the word in the Greek that we get the word phobia from. And what it it actually is emphasizing is terror. It's things that terrify us, that cause us to freak out and worry and panic. And yet in the midst of all that, Jesus steps in and he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Don't freak out. Don't panic. I think if we're honest, much of our life is spent between those two poles. Not fearing, not being afraid, and then freaking out and panicking. What am I going to do? Some of you, when you log into your, your, your online banking and you look at the number in your checking statement, you freak out. You panic. What am I going to do? Maybe that's not some of you. Maybe it's other things. But Jesus knows what we wrestle with. He knows what we struggle with. And he knows what his disciples are wrestling and struggling with. And he's in the middle of commissioning them to go out. What is he in the middle of commissioning them to go out to do? To actually minister, to lay hands on the sick, to preach good news, to help the poor, to basically do what we're called to do as the people of God. And he knows that when we do that, that there are going to be things, in particular fears, that we're going to encounter and have to deal with. And I believe that the number one fear, and the one that we're going to talk about the most today, that we have to deal with and encounter is the fear of men or the fear of people. The word man in this context is anthropos in the Greek, which is also the word that we get the word anthropology from, the study of human beings. And so the idea and the emphasis is on the fear of people, the fear of humans, the fear of man. And so we want to unpack this a little bit. And to do so, I want us to notice a couple things. I already mentioned that he's speaking to his disciples. I already mentioned that Jesus is sending them out to do ministry, but what are the very first two things that he says to them in the midst of doing that? Be wise and beware. Be wise and beware. Listen to what it says in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise. Be wise as serpents and harmless, or some translations say innocent as doves, Verse 17, and beware of men. But be wise and beware. Be wise and beware. He's trying to direct our attention to proceed with caution. To be attentive and to lean in. Many of us, we take a backseat to fear. and We just let fear rule our lives. We let the terror and the panic and the anxiety and the stuff that comes at us rule us so much so that we take a backseat position to it, and it's like, okay, well, we'll just kind of see how this pans out, but Jesus is actually wanting us to lean into it. He's saying, I want you to proceed with caution. I want your mind to be focused. I want your attention to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, wants to say and do in and through you, and so he comes to us at the very beginning of this passage, and he says, be wise and beware, because guess what? You're going to be going into the lion's den, I'm sending you out as a sheep among the wolves, among those that want to devour and tear you apart. Now I've got two Alaskan Malamutes and uh, they are beautiful animals, but they have a little timber wolf in them. And every now and then I see a little bit of that wolf come out and it freaks me out actually. One of them got a little food aggressive once and they were fighting and my daughter got her hand in the mix and bit right in all the way down to the bone. And they didn't mean to cause her any harm, but they just got a little wolf in them. And Jesus comes to us and he says, listen, out there, you're going to encounter some wolves. And they're going to bite because their teeth are sharp. And wolves only like to do one thing, tear you apart. Okay? And so Jesus says, proceed with caution. Be wise. Come on. Don't be foolish. Be full of wisdom about it. And beware. Beware of the schemes of man. Beware of this this fear of man thing that we're we're going to discuss here. Proceed with caution, Jesus says. And I believe that as we we proceed with caution through this passage, I want to direct our attention to what I'm calling snares or, or ways that the enemy likes to entrap us. And the first one, the very first snare that we have to overcome is the fear of man. Proverbs says it this way, the fear of man, in 29 verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a trap, and it's designed to do one thing. To ensnare you, to get you tripped up, and to cause you to become ensnared. And here's the deal Jesus doesn't want that for your life. He doesn't want that for your relationships. He doesn't want that for your dreams. He doesn't want that for your kids. Jesus wants you to be safe and free. He wants you to know a life of freedom. But how do we embrace that? How do we know that? If obvious, the obvious question, which is, what happens when you're ensnared? What happens if you're, if you're trapped? How do you get out of it? We're gonna talk about that. Jesus wants you to know a life of freedom and he wants you to know that snares are real, that wolves are real. So beware and be wise because the enemy, the Bible speaks about him as the one that, that likes to go around prowling around like a lion, looking for whomever he can devour, likes to lay traps. He likes to lay traps. And one of the biggest traps that he likes to lay within our lives is fear. We see this also in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, it says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And so once again, we see this fear of man, this, this snare being presented in Saul's life. Saul was originally a king chosen and anointed by God. But because he feared man, because he got caught up worrying about what people think about him and how he should proceed and how he appeared in front of others, He began to to actually listen to their counsel and not the voice of the Lord. And as a result, he sinned greatly and he transgressed, the Bible tells us, because of that fear. We know that as a result of Saul's fearing man, he ultimately lost his kingship. That snare ended up costing him the kingship. It ended up costing him what was God's original promise for his life. And that's really sad and tragic. And we also see this in in others' lives throughout the scriptures. We see it in Peter's life. I love this passage in Galatians chapter 2. Because this is after Jesus has ascended to to, to heaven, has ascended to the Father. And he sent Peter and the disciples out to start churches and to preach good news and to make disciples. And then Paul comes along and confronts Peter on Peter's fear of man. Here it is. Chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. It's real quick. But when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face. Wow. Okay. Because he stood condemned. Wow. For before certain men came from James, there it is again, he was eating with the Gentiles, meaning he had no problem hanging out with non-Jews. But when the men from James, the, the Jews, came back, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, or the Jewish people. So even Peter got caught up in this. Even Peter got caught up in fearing man, even long after success in ministry, <laughs> success in life. You know, I mean, he, he was Jesus's best bro, and he went out and he even stumbled and got caught up in this snare. And I think we're just like him. You and I both have the potential, and I would say even sometimes the proclivity to get caught up in the fear of man if we're not careful, if we don't beware and be wise. And I think as disciples, as his disciples, we have to tackle these challenges head on. I believe Jesus's words throughout the rest of this passage are actually going to help us figure out the way forward. And so I want to look at this primary text again, Matthew chapter 10, and focus on what I'm going to call today three hard truths about the fear of man. Three hard truths about the fear of man that we have to learn to overcome. And here's the first one. The first hard truth about the fear of man is that we don't want to be rejected. In other words, we want people to like us and the root fear, the root snare that we're dealing with here is rejection. But here's the deal. The issue is not whether you and I in this life are going to be rejected. The issue is when We're rejected. What do we do about it? Matthew 10, verse 17 frames it for us. Jesus says this, For they will deliver you up. Okay? You're going to encounter people that don't like you (laughs) and that are going to reject you. So when this happens, Jesus goes on to tell us what it is that we're supposed to do about it. He says, For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Scourge you. Now, most of us today can take comfort in the fact that we're not going to have to be scourged <laughs> or whipped in anybody's uh, synagogues. But you know where we get scourged? On social media, in front of our friends and our peers. We, we endure social scourging. That is, if, if we are uh, doing what Jesus has called us to do. And so sometimes, as a result of that fear, we don't want to say anything. We're like, uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not very political. I, I don't really, really have a an idea. I'm not. I'm just gonna stand back because I really want people to like me. I don't want to lose my Facebook friend count because I've been building it up so high. And so we face this this public scrutiny, this social scourging, and it and it's different, but it, in the same way, it deals with this root fear of not wanting to be rejected. Maybe it's not just our online life or presence. Maybe it's with a relationship with that person, maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or significant other, maybe it's you're not wanting to feel rejected by them because you want them to like you. You want them to receive you. And I think that all of us face this at some level within our life. I believe there's a remedy, and the remedy for this fear is this, let God speak in you and through you. Matthew ten eighteen through 20 tells us, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver, not if, but when they deliver you up, do not worry. That word do not worry is literally do not be anxious. Do not let anxiety overcome you. Do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Here it is, verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And so the remedy for rejection is actually the voice of God. It's actually being able to hear and receive the voice of God. And so that not only he can speak to you about who he says you really are and affirm you in that, but so that he can also speak through you to the others around. So when you're delivered up, When you're in front of an audience, whether it's online or with your friends or you're gathering around the dinner table at Thanksgiving and nobody wants to talk about politics or socioeconomics or religion because everyone's just afraid there's going to be conflict, let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Let the the Spirit of His Father, the Spirit of Jesus that lives and abides in you if you have placed your hope, faith, and trust in Him speak through you. Let the voice of God be the remedy for the fear of rejection. And he says this. Don't don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the right words. So don't let anxiety take you over. Trust the Holy Spirit in you. You know what? God trusts his Holy Spirit in you a whole lot more than you do. He trusts his investment and his deposit into your life way more than we do. And if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, you called me to Utah. You called me to this valley. I mean, you called me to be courageous. I don't know. He goes, trust my spirit within you. I'm going to give you the right words. I'm going to direct your steps. I'm going to allow hope to abound in your life. You just be obedient. You just be available. You just be receptive. God, whatever you want to say, I want to say. And then watch as God uses your words and your life to bring truth and to bring victory, and to bring hope and freedom to the people he places you in front of. And so the hard truth is that we don't want to be rejected, but the remedy is that if we would allow God to speak in us and through us, that we would see that God would fight his own battles, because God is the one that knows how to fight and win the battle. He's the best defender of his word. All you have to do is speak good news. Speak the gospel. Give people a reason to believe. One of our core values at Courageous Church is a life rooted in the gospel. It really, it's a life rooted in good news. It's in the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing on the earth today. And I think sometimes we have to be willing to open up our mouths and speak, to actually share good news with people. And you know what? It doesn't have to be profound and theological and academic. It can just simply be your testimony of what God has done for you. The scriptures proclaim that we actually overcome. We overcome obstacles and we overcome the enemy with the blood of the lamb. It's what Jesus has done. That's the gospel and the word of our testimony. And so I would challenge us as a people, as a courageous people, to not be afraid to open our mouths and share good news with people. It's amazing what happens when you share good news with somebody that's actually thirsty and hungry for it. You realize they've been there the whole time just longing hungering for someone to illuminate their darkness. And the minute you do, the minute you say, Holy Spirit, give me the words, help me to share what it is you want me to share, or you just lean into your testimony, you say, hey, this is what God has done for me. It's amazing what God will do because the way that you bring glory and praise to God is not just the mechanism that sets you free from the snares of the fear of man, but it's also the way in which other people go free. Paul and Silas were in prison praising God and the Bible says that at the midnight hour, the, the, the jail broke open and everyone went free. And the reality is that that's the power of the good news, of the gospel, is that it gives people the ability to go free. And so I would challenge us as a church to, to live our lives in such a way that we're anchored in and rooted in being a people of good news. Yes, like the, the quote that's often misused, when necessary, use words, but I'm telling you, It's necessary. <laughs> We live in a day and time where it's necessary. People need hope. People need to hear from you. They need to hear the truth of God. They need to hear what God's done for you. And so I took a little more time on this point because I'll tell you this, as a church, courageous church, is gonna be passionate about the gospel. We're gonna be passionate about being a people of good news. Amen. God will help you. He'll direct your words. He'll direct your steps as you focus on listening to what he wants to say. And so when he brings you before governors and kings, people of influence, your boss, your coworkers, you never know who's in that sphere of influence that God's called you to. You never know the trajectory of the life that you're gonna change and how that's gonna affect generations. Some of you are in this room today because of decisions that were made by others to not only stand in the gap for you and pray, but to also share good news with you. And so far be it from us to not turn around and do that for others, amen? The second thing that we see, what I'm calling the hard truth about the fear of man is that we don't want to be hated. This one's a little trickier. Okay, it's not that we just don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be despised or hated. In other words, we want people to love us. We don't just want people to like us, but we want people to love us. And the root fear, I believe, is not being loved. We all want to be loved. How many songs are written about love? The whole world knows that we need love. Matthew 10, 21, verse 22, picking back up with our passage, says, it, says this Now, a brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. Okay, so we're going to see drama within family, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And verse 22, here's what it says And you, my disciples, my Jesus followers, my beloved, my chosen ones. You'll be hated. And you'll not just be hated by some, you'll be hated by all. (laughs) Wow. For my name's sake. Meaning the decision you make to become a disciple of Jesus and to follow him and to trust in him and to be filled with his Holy Spirit means that you're going to experience this in your life. That you're going to have to face people that hate you. And that hate what you stand for. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. And there's a permeating worldview out there, an ideology that is false. I believe it's built on a false narrative, which says that people are inherently good. But the scriptures tell us that people are inherently wicked. That the, that the, the motives and the intentions and desires of the heart are actually inherently wicked from youth. And so this ideology has crept into, well, you know, you know they, they, they mean well. They believe well. You know, and and the truth is, is that no, sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes people are in love with death and darkness and they're going to hate you and they're going to despise you and despise you for what you stand for and what you believe in and what you proclaim. So don't be surprised when not everyone accepts your good news. And Jesus The best teacher, the best leader, the best rabbi, the best CEO, the best small group leader had towns in which people did not receive his good news. Jesus came to proclaim the reality of the kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he came announcing the good news to set captives free, to restore the sight to the blind, and to fulfill the mandate of Isaiah 61. But there were towns that he went into that he couldn't even do any major miracles in because of their lack of faith. And I would also say because they despised and rejected him. In fact, he goes into one town, and don't quote me on this, I think it was Capernaum, where they take him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. So who do we think we are that people aren't going to treat us the same way? Hopefully no one's taken us to the top of the mountains to throw us off. But don't be surprised when people reject you and hate you and despise you. See, church, we got to overcome this fear. Because we, we want to be liked and we want to be loved. Oh, I just want to be loved. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody can love you. Not everybody's supposed to love you. The truth is, is that we have to be willing to stand in who we are in Christ, who are we becoming in him, so that we can overcome this fear. The truth is, we're going to have conflict. We're going to see this play out in families. Some of you already have. Some of you come from families in which, uh, you have, uh, have, have never seen anything functional in your life. <laughs> Can I uh, get an amen? Okay. It's okay. We're all in this together. Nobody enters this life perfect. We all have dysfunction in our, in our legacy and in our gene pool somewhere. Okay? Even you over-intellectual types with your degrees, you still got some dysfunction in your life. Come on. Let's be real. But the truth is, is that when when we step into who Jesus wants us to become, sometimes there's going to be conflict. And usually it's with the people that we love the most. Why is that? Because we want to be loved in return. And so those people that we love the most, our family members and our cousins and our aunts and uncles and our brothers and our sisters and our moms and dads, sometimes don't get it. Sometimes they can't see the forest for the trees And even you standing as a testimony to good news means that it's an assault on something that they're clinging to. Something that they've made a God. Something that they've put on the throne of their life. Something that they've propped up that they're now worshiping. That your good news and your gospel and your testimony and all of your encouragement is somehow actually shining a light on. And so as a result, people are going to hate you. And they're going to despise you. And there's going to be conflict. And Jesus shows this. And he tells the disciples, so don't wig out. Don't freak out. When you're hated by all for my name's sake, do not fear when this happens. You see, if they hated Jesus, the truth is they're going to hate us. So what's the remedy? Here's the remedy for the fear. Love well. Love well. If you want love, you have to give love. Why? Because there is no fear in love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus actually takes it to the next level. Jesus ups the ante and he says, bless those that persecute you. Bless those that hate you. Whoa, 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 Jesus, hold on, time out. I was with you until that part. (laughs) Because that's hard. Because that that hurts. And that person that I really want to love me doesn't love me in return and has rejected me and despised me. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know what that's like. Uh Uh-huh, come on, come with me bless him. And so I don't know what that looks like for you and your world. I remember years ago, my wife was working, uh, for, uh, for a doctor and, uh, this doctor had done some things that were just, uh, just downright despicable and mean and, and, and hurtful. And my first reaction was like, man, I'm going to get that guy, you know, treating my wife like that. How, how dare he? And Jesus was like, bless him. And I was like, wait, no, no, no. What? That had to be the devil wasn't the devil. Bless him. I don't want to bless that guy. I mean, he's a doctor. He's got millions of dollars. What does he need blessing for? Bless him. And so I did. I found a small way to do that. And it was amazing how the situation changed. Amazing what favor entered into the picture. Amazing what happens when we actually do what Jesus tells us to do. It's like the words of life are there if we would just practice them and apply them in our life. It's amazing what God will do for you. Maybe your father hurt you and I'm here to tell you today, bless him. Maybe your mother abandoned you. Bless her. Maybe somebody totally misunderstood you at work and did something nasty to you and actually sabotaged you. Bless him. Bless those that persecute you because if you want love, you got to give love. See, the remedy for the fear of man and rejection and being hated by others is that we would learn to, in turn, not turn their own weapons upon them, but that we would bless them, that we'd bless those that persecute us. We don't have to become monsters to defeat monsters. In fact, Jesus says, you know, he talks a lot about how to handle your enemies and the truth is, when you learn how to handle the enemies, whether it's turning the other cheek or blessing those that persecute you, what you come to understand is they're not really your enemies. <laughs> they're not really your enemies. The only enemies are the enemies that oppose the will of God, oppose the expansion of the kingdom, that oppose what God's trying to do on the earth. But you know what he says? I'm going I'm to make a, a table in the presence of those people. I'm going to show off. I'm going to fight the battle. You just stand still and watch the victory of the Lord. And so for us as people, dealing with people, we don't put skin on sin. We don't make our our issue with flesh and blood. So what's our response to flesh and blood, to family, to brothers and children and and those in our life that hate us? We love them. We love well. That's the remedy for the fear of man and fear of being hated. We learn to love well. And this is also a core value for us. I've said it earlier, that we would be a people that share life together as a loving family. Some of us have had great families. And for those of you that do, praise God. But many of us haven't. And so as the church, God wants to model a new way forward. And that way forward is loving well. It's blessing those that that hurt us and harm us and hate us. Whatever that is today. And whoever you have in your mind, do something for them. Just do something. Don't sit back and grumble and complain and get on Facebook and rally against them. and don't, don't do that. Don't get caught up in that. Just do what Jesus says. Bless those that persecute you. Bless those that hate you. The last hard truth that I want to talk about today, about the fear of man, is that we don't want to be judged. Oh, this one. This one's tough. In other words, we want the approval of man or of people. And I think there's an underlining root fear, and here it is, that we don't want to be exposed. Jesus addresses this in a really shocking way. Picking back up at verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, okay, and a servant like his master. If they called the master the devil, how much more will they call those of this household? Therefore, do not fear them. Here it is for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. The truth is we don't want to be uncovered or exposed. That's the the root concern we see with being judged, that people will somehow find us out, that people will discover what really lies beneath the surface of our lives. That's why it's so much easier to say things like, bro, don't judge me, right? Because I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be called out. I don't want to be called to account. And so we say that, bro, sis, don't judge me. Come on now. Why are you judging me? Because ultimately, we don't want to be called out on our junk. We want to cover up, and we've been doing it since the garden. God's like, where'd you go? Where have you been? I hid. I covered up because I didn't want you to judge me. I didn't want you to see my stuff. God's like, oh, I already see it. I already see it. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to know that we're not perfect. We don't want people to know that Pastor Jason doesn't have it all together. So we just dress up real nice and we put on a great front and we say things like, Don't judge me. Come on, it's all good. Because we don't want to be uncovered. But Jesus says, There's nothing covered that will not be revealed. And there's nothing that's hidden that will not be known. But you see, instead of not wanting to be judged, we end up judging everybody else, don't we? Jesus says you end up focusing on the, the speck in your neighbor's eye rather than dealing with the plank coming out of yours. And so we become really good at it and really masterful at covering up our planks and then directing our attention to other people's minor specks. And I think there's a remedy for this fear, and it's this. Let God be the judge. Let God Uncover what needs to be uncovered in your life and in the lives of others. Let him reveal what needs to be hidden. I love the way Romans chapter two, verses one through two says it. It says it this way in verse one. So do you think that you can judge those other people? You are wrong. You too are guilty of sin. You judge them, but you do the same things they do. So when you judge them, you are actually condemning yourself. For God is the one who judges all who do such things, and we know that his judgment is right. Let God be the judge. Let him expose what needs to be exposed. You, your job is just to discern rightly. It's to focus on dealing with your own heart. And that's why Jesus would go on to say in Matthew 10, verse 27, whatever I say to you in the dark, in the dark places of your soul, in the darkness of what you think is hidden, bring it out into the light. Speak it out in the light. And what you hear, preach it on the housetops. There's nothing that's hidden that won't be revealed. There's nothing that's currently not known that will not be known. In other words, he wants us to get out of the dark and to come into the light, to let God expose what ensnares us so that we can actually find our freedom and our hope and our healing in Jesus. You know, the Bible says, Confess your sins one to another, not so that you can be forgiven. God's already taken care of that part on the cross, but so that you can be healed. A lot of us, we want healing. We want God to do something for us that he actually says, I've already given you the answer to. And because of our unwillingness to expose and to bring out out of the darkness and into light, because of our hesitancy to do that, we walk around with pain, ensnared, tripped up, not free, but bound. And the life of freedom that he wants for us is just found on the other side of just coming into the light. had somebody in my life that used to say, bringing the skeletons out of the closet and having them dance at the party. Isn't that good? Jesus says, come into the light. Let God expose what's ensnaring you so that I can heal it. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring freedom from the fear of man and from what ensnares us. From this desire to not be judged, to not be exposed. we know that God's judgment is right. We know that God is the best judge. He sees all. The stuff that we think he doesn't see, oh, he's got us already figured out. That's why in the garden, when he came to Adam and he said, where have you been? What have you been doing? God didn't lose sight of Adam. He, He wasn't playing lost and found. He knew exactly where Adam was, but he was trying to help Adam figure out where Adam was. And I feel like he's trying to do that for some of us today. He's exposing things, maybe within your heart, even now as I speak. The Holy Spirit's bringing attention to things, maybe areas where you harbored resentment or where you har- harbored that fear of rejection or maybe someone hurt you and hated you and you despised them and you didn't bless them or maybe you didn't want to be judged or found out and God's saying, no, 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 no. My son, my daughter, would you come into the light? Would you be willing to let me uncover what needs to be uncovered so that you can be healed, so that you can go free? And here's the cool part. Free people help free people. God wants you to go free because he's already thinking about 10 people behind you that you're gonna help bring freedom to. And your mess is gonna become your message and God's gonna use it to bring hope and freedom and healing to others as you step out in faith, as you step out not being anxious for anything, not worrying, but being a person that overcomes that fear and says, you know what? I'm gonna be courageous in this. Here's what God did for me. I was bound And guess what? Now I'm free. I was lost and now I'm found. I was in darkness and now I'm in light because I was willing to get real with God. So what's our response as a church? It's to not fear man. Verse 28 begins to wrap it up for us. And do not fear, Jesus says, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, meaning they don't have power over you. They can wound you, they can maim you, they can hurt you, they can end your earthly life, but that's about all. Therefore, do not fear them, but rather fear the Lord. Do not fear man, but fear the Lord. It almost sounds contradictory, but it's not. Because what Jesus is trying to bring us into is a rightful understanding of who it is that we're actually called to honor and revere and who it is that we're actually called to tremble before. And he says, it's not man. It's not these people that you think are big and powerful in your life. No, it's an almighty God whose judgment is right. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow, that's heavy. But it doesn't have to be heavy for you when you understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How did he start the passage? Beware and be wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of wisdom, Because the fear of the Lord is to honor him and to revere him and to tremble before him and to stand in awe of who he is. Not stand in awe of how big your problems are, but stand in awe of how big your God is. And when we stop trembling before man, we stop fearing their response, we stop fearing rejection, we stop fearing these things, we begin to see that God becomes infinitely bigger within our life. The fears of man become suddenly smaller because God has become suddenly larger. And that's what he wants for you. He wants to be able to to fight for you and to stand in the gap for you, to overshadow you, and yes, even to provide for you, to show you that he's been there all along. And that's what Jesus says in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, and here's where he wraps it all up, and he puts a big old bow on it for us. Therefore, therefore, As a result, now that I've told you everything, do not fear because, and I love this about God, you are of more value than the sparrows. You are of more value. And I hope today that you hear those words and take them in, that you hear the voice of God saying to you, you are of value to me. You're of more value than anything else I've ever created. You're the apple of my eye. You're the crown of my creation. I bought you with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus, so that you could be restored into my family, so that you could be mine, my beloved, my chosen ones. You are of more value. Therefore, do not fear. Do not fear. The fear of man blinds us from seeing the truth. And I think it distorts our perspective. It's kind of like wearing dirty glasses. It's like putting on foggy lens. And you can see through them. There's spots, though. And there's areas where your vision's kind of blurry. And the problem is if you wear those long enough, you kind of just start to assume that's normal. Your eyes kind of adjust, your brain kind of takes over and finds a way to kind of peer out through the dirt and the grime. And the, I really need to clean my glasses, by the way. And if you wear them long enough, you begin to acclimate to that reality. And even as a Christian, even as a believer, sometimes it's easy to be walking around with the wrong kind of glasses on as Matt cleans his over there. But God wants us to look through a clear lens and the lens of his word, the authority of his word, which brings clarity, and it brings a new perspective. When we trust God, we begin to see the spots removed and the lens cleared so that we can see the world and see others the way we are intended to as a courageous people.